Somebody give him praise in this place. Whoa. Ah. Whoa. You ought to shout right now for somebody who wish they could be here shouting right now. You ought to go ahead and give God a praise in place of somebody that wish they could be here giving God the I see Sister Ellison back there in the house of the Lord this morning. Somebody give God a praise for touching her today. Glory to God. Sister Leal was at the hospital this week with a kidney stone, but she's in the house of the Lord giving God the praise this morning. God is good. God is good. Somebody said all the time, God is good. And all the time. Clap your hands one more time and give him the praise this morning. Woo. Glory to the name of Jesus. You can be seated for just a moment. My God, what an incredible presence of the Lord that we feel in this sanctuary this morning. Amen. I don't know about you, but I am so thankful to be in the house of the Lord today. Amen. Amen. And uh, we're so grateful to have all of our guests that are with us this morning. One more time, Rock Church, would you help me give a great applause? Come on, help me, help me really welcome all of our guests that are here in the house of the Lord with us this morning. We are so grateful to have you here with us in worship. If you're a first-time guest, uh, when you walked in the door, you should have received a, a little VIP invitation. And uh, if you did not receive one of those invitations, if you'll raise your hand uh, really quickly, we can get one of those to you. But that invitation is, an, is for you to come right after the service when we dismiss. If you go out into the lobby, you're going to see a red carpet and there'll be somebody there to escort you back. We have a special VIP room set up, and we have just a small gift that we want to give you this morning as a token of our gratefulness uh, that you came to the house of the Lord. And I personally would love an opportunity to meet you this morning, and uh, we're just so honored to have you in the house of the Lord. Amen. Would you help me welcome all of our online streaming guests? This morning, come on, they're streaming in from all over the globe. We're grateful that you joined us this morning. We want to remind you that you uh, have the opportunity to participate in your tithing and offering simply by going to the church's website, rockchurchftmyers.com, or to the mobile app, the free mobile app, and there you can participate in your giving. Amen, somebody. I'm so thankful for what the Lord is doing this week. Uh, this week, we baptized Saba in Jesus' name for the remission of her sins. Revival is continuing. And then I want to say a great big congratulations to Brother Matthew and Sister Camila Clark. 
who were married this Thursday at prayer meeting. <laughs> I don't know where they're sitting. Where are they at? Oh, Ooh, they up in the honeymoon suite. Up in the balcony in the honeymoon suite. I got my eye on y'all this morning. Amen. But we want to say great big congratulations to them. And uh, I'm so thankful for what God is doing. If you are not aware, let me take just a moment to give you a, a brief update. As you probably know, uh, the governor of Florida issued a stay-at-home order uh, earlier this week for the entire state of Florida. But with that stay-at-home order, uh, he listed churches as essential services. Amen. And uh, there was some special language that was included in the order uh, that I am very, very grateful for uh, that allow us to continue having church during these times. And I'll tell you, uh, we need to pray. We need to pray for our governor. Amen, somebody. We need to pray for all of our leaders. But I want you to remember to pray for Governor Ron DeSantis uh, because of his order. He has faced some tremendous uh, resistance. And I was listening to a news uh, uh, press conference that he did the day after he released the order. And I appreciated so greatly what he had to say. Now, I'm not political, so please uh, don't confuse what I'm saying with politics. Uh, but at that press conference, they were asking him questions about churches during this time. And I love what he had to say. The governor, now this is not somebody who espouses to be apostolic, but the governor said, I believe that churches are probably more important now than ever. And he said that the, the services that church provide he believed were absolutely essential uh, during this time. And uh, I, I don't know about you, but that's how I feel. If there was ever a day, if there was ever a time that the world needed to see the church in action, it's today. It's today. And uh, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you why it's so important. If you look at reports that are coming out right now, there are things happening because of the, uh, the conditions of our world, some of the limitations that have been put on us from a social, socializing perspective. Right now, suicide rates are increasing at an exponential rate these past few weeks. The consumption of alcohol is up almost 60%. Domestic violence is in a drastic climb. They're not going to find answers for that at the hospital. I said they're not going to find answers for that at the hospital. But I'll tell you one place that has the answer. Come on, I said I'll tell you one place that has the answer. And I'm, I'm so, so very grateful uh, this morning couple of hours before service started, we received communication from uh, a news network that wanted to do an interview with me. And so 
I gave them 10 minutes of my time uh, this morning at about 9.30. And uh, I have the opportunity to speak to the community of Fort Myers and Lee County and let them know that there is a church. This is in the, in the interview. I hope they don't edit it out. That there is a church that is standing. That there is a church that is praying for them. That there is a church that is calling out to God on their behalf. My wife was there during the interview. I used those exact words. They said, is there anything else you'd like to tell the community? And I wanted our community to know that we are remaining faithful to God in prayer and, and doing everything we can to support them. Amen, somebody? And uh, so I'm thankful for that. I want you to stand with me as we go to the word of the Lord, the book of Mark, chapter number 9. The book of Mark, chapter number 9. I don't believe that I'll be before you very long this morning, but I feel like um, the Lord has spoken to me very directly with a word for somebody in this house today. Mark chapter 9, verse 17. While you're turning there, let me uh, announce to you that we will be in revival service tonight at 6.30. Pastor Joe Rowley from Apopka, Florida will be in the building with us tonight. Amen. And it's going to be incredible. Pastor Joe Rowley will be with us tonight, and I'm, I'm just telling you, I believe God wants to do something absolutely amazing tonight. How many of you will, will be in the house of the Lord? Let's let God use us to shift the atmosphere of our community. Amen. <clears throat> Mark 9 and 17 says, And one of the multitude answered and said, Master, I have brought unto thee my son, which hath a dumb spirit. Now, you parents, don't highlight that in your Bible. Be walking around and say, you got a dumb spirit like the Lord. I need to take you to the Lord. You, that's not what he was talking about. <laughs> Some of y'all can laugh a little bit. Amen. He said, I have brought unto thee my son, which hath a dumb spirit. And wheresoever he taketh him, he teareth him, and he foameth, and gnasheth with his teeth, and pineth away. And I spake to thy disciples that they should cast him out, and they could not. And he answered him and saith, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. And they brought him unto him. And when he saw him, he straightway, the spirit straightway tear him. And he fell down on the ground and wallowed foaming. It is my perspective, and I've read a couple of some commentary that perhaps this was the same reaction that the disciples were met with when they brought this young man to the disciples. When they brought him to the disciples, perhaps he fell on the ground and was wallowing, foaming. And it caused a reaction in the disciples wherewith 
they were unable to move in a way that they allowed faith to bring healing to this young man. And Jesus asked his father, how long is it ago since this came unto him? And he said, of a child. And oft times it hath cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. Listen to the desperation of this father who has tried everything that he could to help his son. And it's been years from the time the boy was born that this has happened. And he has not been able to find help anywhere. And so finally in verse 22, he says, But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said unto him, If thou canst believe, that all things are possible to him that believeth. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, follow me, Lord, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. And for a few moments this morning, I want to preach about the paradox of faith. The paradox of faith. Can we put our Bibles down and one more time clap our hands and give the Lord some praise in this house? Come on, let's give God some praise. Hallelujah, Jesus. Whoa, God bless you. You may be seated. A couple of things regarding this text that stick out to me. Number one is that this man had tried everything that he could and, and could not find answers. He could not find relief. And he comes to Jesus and he said, If you can do anything, would you please help us? And I feel like telling somebody on the outset this morning that God can do anything. I feel like declaring to the world, look no further because God can do anything. Our world doesn't have all of the answers. Medical science doesn't have all of the answers. Politicians don't have all of the answers. But can I tell you that when you come to Jesus, he has all of the answers. And not only does he have all of the answers, uh, but he has all power uh, in his uh, hand. Uh, the question is, can you help me? Uh, I came to declare emphatically to you uh, that Jesus is all the help uh, that you'll ever need. Uh, if God can't do it, uh, it cannot be uh, done. Uh, when you find Jesus, uh, look no further uh, because God uh, can uh, do uh, anything. I wish I had uh, a believer. Uh, Jesus looked at him uh, and said, if you can uh, believe uh, all things, uh, all things, uh, all things, uh, all things uh, are possible. 
impossible to him that believe it. That's not Pastor Williams. That's Jesus. He said, if you can believe, I can do anything that you need me to do. I wish I was in the right church this morning. If you can believe me for it, there is no limitation to my power. There is no limitation to my answers. God can do anything. I just need somebody with faith in their heart this morning to throw your hands in the air and declare that God can do anything. Do I have any believers in the building that know nothing is impossible for God? Nothing is impossible for God. If you believe he can do anything, give him a praise. If you believe he can do anything, give him a praise. Oh, somebody in the building, if you don't believe it, you need to stir something inside of you this morning until you break the chains of doubt that say, God, you can do anything. God can do anything. They brought their son to Jesus because they knew about the miracles which he had done. And yet when they get there, there is a paradox of faith that they must deal with. It is a picture of the real struggle that all of us face at times. Lord, I believe, but help thou my unbelief. Do I got anybody in the building that knows what I'm talking about? There is a paradox of believing God that we have to contend with to be suspended between those two uh, dynamics. Uh, Lord, uh, I have faith, uh, but help me uh, with my unbelief. Uh, Lord, I, I believe, uh, but I got something over here uh, that's nagging at me. God, uh, I want to believe uh, that nothing is impossible, uh, but I've got something over here uh, I'm contending with. I wish I had a witness in the building. Uh, Lord, I... I want to be one of those people that uh, that say you can do uh, anything, but uh, but what about this over here, God? Uh, I want to be one of those uh, people that can testify uh, that nothing is impossible uh, for you, but the fact is uh, I've got a son over here uh, that's been this way from the time uh, he was born, and nobody, uh, Lord, I believe, uh, but help thou uh, my unbelief. I wonder if there's anybody in this place uh, that's ever lived long enough uh, to find yourself uh, in the paradox uh, of faith. Uh, Lord, I got faith. Uh, I know what your word says. Uh, I know what you can do. Uh, but Lord, help me uh, to contend uh, with this over here. Am I preaching to anybody this morning? Lord, I want to trust you. Lord, I, I, I want to let go and let God, but 
Help me. Help me with, with my unbelief. When we begin to read the book of Hebrews chapter number 11, it is often referred to as the hall of faith. Over and over again, the scripture declares, by faith. And it gives us example after example of patriarchs and matriarchs of the scripture who had a testimony of faith. But can I tell you that even in the greatest examples of faith, they are full of examples of people who had to exercise their faith in a paradox of unbelief. They had to learn how to exercise their faith in the middle of circumstances, in the middle of dynamics that spoke to them and told them it is impossible. I can preach to you this morning about faithful Abraham. The Bible says he is the father of all those who believe. He is the man that God calls the friend of God. But I can point to you uh, that when famine arose in Canaan, uh, he went down to Egypt uh, for support. Uh, and he was so afraid uh, to trust his wife uh, in the hands of God uh, that he told a lie uh, by saying that she was uh, his sister. There are moments of weakness uh, where our faith falters uh, and we, we have moments uh, where our humanity uh, gets the best of us uh, and we forget about the promise of God uh, and we forget about the word uh, of God. Uh, but God did not record those moments uh, as the testimony. Uh, God said, I want you to see uh, that they got back up uh, and they believed in me. Uh, they arose from the, uh, it is not natural uh, to deal with fear. Uh, it is natural uh, to have moments uh, where we contend, uh, but the paradox of faith uh, is that if we'll trust God, uh, he'll bring us uh, through. I came to preach to somebody uh, that in this day uh, and in this hour, uh, your faith uh, will bring you uh, through. Uh, I don't care what the facts say. Uh, I don't care. Come on, somebody. Uh, God will bring you uh, through. There's a paradox of faith where we must wrestle our way through. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Not Lord, I believe, but I'm sorry, I'm going to trust my unbelief. You've got to be able to bring both of them to God and say, Lord, here's my faith, but I'm also bringing to you my fears. Lord, here's my faith, but I'm bringing to you. God's not afraid of your questions. God's not afraid of your dilemma. God's not afraid of your struggle. The Bible said to come boldly before the throne. you got to learn how to grab your unbelief and say, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. God, I'm bringing my unbelief to an altar. I'm bringing my unbelief before you this morning. I can preach to you out of Hebrews 11 about Moses who was afraid 
to return to Egypt and confront Pharaoh after Jehovah had appeared to him at a burning bush and had promised him deliverance of his people. What do you do when you know what God's word says, but you're contending with human fear? What do you do when you know what God promised, and yet you have to live in this fleshly body? It is the paradox of faith. Somewhere in your battle for faith, faith has to arise and say, Lord, I might be afraid. God, I might have doubts. Lord, I might have some things that I'm dealing with but I'm not going to let those things dictate to me Lord I believe help thou my son my God I feel the Holy Ghost you got to learn how to drag your fears behind you into what God said you got to learn how to bring unbelief with you into the situation come on I'm preaching to somebody in this building about the paradox of faith. I feel like telling somebody this. Faith is never authenticated when everything's going good. There's no way to authenticate faith when everything's right. Faith is not authenticated when we can see Faith is authenticated in the darkness. Faith is authenticated when we have to trust what we know. I can preach to you about David who stood on a battlefield and watched God stand with him against the giant Goliath. And yet we find him in verse Samuel 37 and 1 saying, I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. How does somebody who has witnessed God do something so great uh, find them just a few chapters later uh, uh, worrying uh, and afraid, uh, making statements uh, that were not even true? I'm talking about David, a man after God's own heart. I will one day surely die at the hand of Saul. That's not real. That's not true. That is the voice of fear speaking to David. Oh, one day he's going to kill me. One day I'm going to die. One day, no. That's the voice of fear. But David had to contend with the paradox of faith. I know God did it before, but will he do it again? I know God brought the giant down, but can he keep me uh, from Saul. Uh, I'm, I'm preaching to people right now. Uh, God has showed himself strong to you. Uh, God has proven to you uh, his power uh, and his greatness. Uh, somewhere you got to wrestle uh, your way through the paradox uh, of faith. Uh, your God hasn't changed. Uh, he's not lost his power. Uh, our world might be in trouble, uh, but our God uh, is never in trouble. Uh, our economy me might be upside down, but my God is never upside down. Our doctors may not have the answers, but he's Jehovah Rophi. He is God, our healer.
What about the great Elijah, the once intrepid prophet who prayed and fire fell from heaven and consumed the prophets of Baal. And just a few short verses later, we find him hiding under a bush because of the threat of Jezebel. What is it? It's the paradox of faith. God, I believe, but help my unbelief. Come on, I'm preaching to somebody in this place uh, that right now in these times, uh, you've got to reach forward uh, and grab a hold uh, of your faith. Uh, you've got to reach forward uh, and grab a hold of the word of God uh, because there are going to be voices uh, from every corner uh, that speak things into your life uh, that will invoke a sense of doubt, uh, that will invoke a sense uh, of fear. Uh, but somewhere you've got to have enough strength uh, to bring those fears before your God and say Lord I believe but help thou my unbelief Lord help me overcome this God help me overcome this you've not given me a spirit of fear but of power and of love and of a sound mind I want to believe, but I'm struggling. Heard a story one time of a man who fell off of a cliff, but he managed to grab a tree limb on the way down. And he was hanging on to that tree limb on the side of a cliff. And he began to lift his voice and shout, Hello! Is anyone up there? Help! Is anybody up there? All of a sudden, a voice responded. I am here. I am the Lord. Do you believe me? He said, yes, Lord. I believe. I really believe. But I can't hang on much longer. That's all right. If you really believe, you have nothing to worry about. I will save you. Just let go of the branch. There was a long pause. And then the man said, Is there anybody else up there? We laugh at that, but that's the way that the enemy will position some of us in a moment where God is speaking to us and God is saying, I've got you. I'll take care of you. I've got you in my hand. Don't worry. Don't be afraid. And we're hanging on by one hand saying, Lord, is there somebody else? I came to preach to somebody this morning about the paradox of faith. Somewhere you've got to let go and let God. I want to believe that you can do it for me, but I'm struggling with letting go and letting God. Romans chapter 12, verse 3 declares that 
God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. Not a measure, but the measure. Why is that important? Because God doesn't give some people a little bit of faith. And then God gives somebody else a lot of faith. God gives every man the measure of faith. Faith is not about uh, the measure. Uh, it's about what we do uh, with what God has given us. He's given us the measure of faith. And then we'll often misquote the scripture and say, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed. But if you say that, it would indicate a proportional difference between faith. Jesus did not say if you had faith the size of a mustard seed. He said if you had faith as a grain of mustard seed. If you get a hold of this, it'll change your life. Because I don't have any more faith than you have. God hasn't given me any faith different uh, than the faith in, that's inside of you. Uh, the difference in faith uh, is what you do uh, when you exercise uh, the faith that God uh, has given you. Uh, Mark chapter 4 verse 31, Jesus said, uh, It is like a grain uh, of mustard seed, uh, which when it is sown uh, in the earth, and I know he's talking about the kingdom of God, uh, but I'm showing you a parallel of what he's saying about the mustard seed. Uh, when you put the mustard seed in the earth. Uh, it is less uh, than all the seeds that be in the earth. Uh, but when it is sown, uh, it groweth up uh, and becometh greater than all the herbs uh, and shooteth out great branches uh, so that the fowls of the air uh, may lodge under the shadow of it. Uh, I'm preaching to somebody this morning uh, that the potential of our faith uh, is not the size of it, uh, but rather it is uh, the action uh, of it. Uh, what are you doing uh, with the faith uh, that God uh, has given you. Uh, you cannot put uh, the measure of faith uh, that God has given you uh, and put it in your pocket. Uh, if faith uh, is going to provide uh, your actions, uh, you got to put it in the ground uh, and you've got to cultivate your faith. Uh, you've got to water it. Uh, you've got to feed it. Uh, and when you feed uh, your faith uh, instead of feeding uh, your fears, uh, your faith begins uh, to grow. Uh, your faith becomes uh, structure. Uh, your faith becomes uh, a place uh, of resilience uh, and power uh, that's in your life. You've got to feed faith and not feed your fears. James 2 and 20 says faith without works is dead being alone. If you just stick that seed all by itself there on the ground, nothing will happen. And though God gives every man the measure of faith, he does not remove the challenge of unbelief. And so there are these two natures that coexist, belief and unbelief. The potential of faith 
and the opposing force of unbelief. This is the paradox of faith. There is a continual opposition between them. And they issue from the spirit and from the flesh. Galatians 5 and 17 says, For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other. Are you hearing me? They are contrary. The spirit and the flesh oppose each other. And when it happens, here's what it says. Uh, that when they oppose each other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. Woo, that's a powerful revelation. In other words, this paradox of faith, if you are not careful, will paralyze you from doing the things that you know you should do. Come on, somebody. You ought to get underline this in your Bible. Uh, this paradox of faith, uh, the struggle uh, between the spirit uh, and the flesh uh, will cause you uh, to be paralyzed uh, so that you cannot do. Uh, have you ever heard the phrase, uh, they were paralyzed uh, by fear? Uh, what is it? I'll tell you what it is. Uh, it is cognitive dissonance. It is one part of you saying, I know I should believe God. And another part of you saying, but what if? But what about? But what if? I'm, I'm going I'm to say something here really quick. Because there's two sides to the coin of what if. What if I fail? What if you succeed? If you give in to the flesh, it's going to focus on failure. If you give in to faith, it's going to focus on success. Come on, somebody. There is always an element to risk in everything you do. If you wake up in the morning and say, oh, I got to drive the car, what if I get in a wreck? That's something important to consider. Considering the possibility of getting in a wreck causes you to drive cautious and carefully. That's good. But you can go so far down that trail that you say, I'm not driving my car anymore. I'm not going to drive my car anymore because, because what, if, what if I die? I'm preaching real good right now to somebody. That was the whole dilemma of the 12 spies, the what ifs. And this paradox of faith is at war in your life. And you've got to learn the healthy balance of understanding uh, the one side of the coin. The reality to this man, uh, I've got a son who's dumb, uh, who's been casting himself uh, into a fire, a spirit of suicide. I've got all of those things. Uh, but just as powerful uh, as the facts uh, is I'm in front of a God right now uh, that has the power uh, to heal him, uh, that has the power uh, to keep him. 
What if my boy never healed again, but what if God does heal him? You'll never know the what if of faith if you give in to the what if of fear in your life. They are contrary one to the other so that you cannot do the things that you would. <laughs> I would do this, but I'm conflicted. I would do this, but fear and faith. And so it is this unceasing warfare between the two antagonistic principles that give rise to a dual experience. One moment trusting God, the next moment doubting Him. One moment resting upon and drawing comfort from His promises, and the next having no confidence in the same. Peter, one minute walking on water in the midst of the storm with his eyes fixed on Jesus and the next moment sinking as he observes the tempestuous winds and the waves. And then Jesus taking his hand and telling him, be not afraid. It was a story one time of a a boy who was caught in a house fire in an apartment. He was, they lived on the second floor. And the stairwell and fire escapes had caught fire. And the boy's father had managed to get out of the building thinking that his son had already left. Come to find out his son, his son had been trapped in the building. The, the father was standing outside of the building hollering when all of a sudden his boy appears in the window of the apartment. Fire and smoke billowing. Son, I'm right here. Dad, help. Help, Dad. The, the flames, the fire. I'm afraid, Dad. His dad was standing right there. He said, son, I'm here. Can you hear me? Son, I can hear you, Dad. He said, Son, I'm standing right here. I want you to jump. I want you to jump, son. I'll catch you. And the boy said, Daddy, but I can't see you. And the father said, I know, but I can see you. And that's all that matters. I came to preach to somebody in the building. Sometimes uh, you won't be able to see it. Uh, sometimes uh, you won't be able to ascertain. Uh, but part of faith uh, is not being able to see God and knowing uh, that God can see uh, you. Uh, my God, who am I preaching to? Uh, God, I can't see you. Uh, God said, but I uh, can see you. Uh, and I'll never leave you. Uh, and I'll never forsake you. Uh, 
and I'll be with you unto the ends of the earth. I came to preach to somebody that when you can't see it, when you don't understand it, your faith has to trust in God. Oh, but I'm afraid. God said, I know you're afraid. It's the paradox of faith. Just trust me. But I don't know about this. God said, I know. Just trust me. I'm preaching to somebody this morning. If you weren't here Tuesday night, I, I strongly recommend that you go online and listen. Tuesday night I preached, I will not lose my mind. <coughs> I'm just telling you something. The famous poem by Kipling that said, if you can keep your mind while everybody else is losing theirs. God did not create a church to live in panic and hysteria. Come on, somebody. Do we drive our cars carefully? Absolutely. Do we wear our seatbelt? Absolutely. But we don't live in fear. Come on, are you with me this morning? What if, what if, what if, what if you get in a car accident? Then I trust God's going to take care of you. And if it's your time to go, my times are in his hands. What if I cross the street and I get ran over by a car? Somewhere you have to make up in your mind, I'm not going to be a slave to fear. I'm almost done if the musicians want to come. Faith is not merely you holding on to God, but it's realizing that God is holding on to you. If you study world history, you'll find an interesting character by the name of Charles Blondin. If you've never heard of Charles Blondin, Charles Blondin is considered to be the greatest tightrope walker in world history. He became famous walking tightropes. And in particular, he was known for one day installing a tight rope that stretched all the way across Niagara Falls. From the Canadian side all the way to the state side. And when he did this, it gained a lot of attention. And there was some 25,000 people who gathered to watch Charles Blondin walk a tightrope across Niagara Falls. 
took 1,300 feet of rope. It was suspended 190 feet above the gorge. And it was just Charles Blondin and a balancing pole. 23, 25,000 people on the Canadian and American side watching him. And so Charles Blondin grabbed that balancing pole and did the unthinkable. And he started out across that tightrope with no safety precautions. Him and the balancing pole. With bated breath, the 25,000 people stood and watched. Of knowing that at any moment if he lost his balance, he would plummet to his death. Knowing that he was risking everything for this moment. Charles Blondin set out across that tightrope. It took him 23 minutes to cross. <laughs> I can't balance for 23 seconds. For 23 minutes, suspended 190 feet above gushing waters, he walked across that rope. The people, when he got to the other side, cheered with roars of cheering at this unbelievable feat. A short time later, Charles Blondin wanted to do something else, so he advertised and invited everybody back to the spot in Niagara Falls. He was going to cross again. But this time, he was going to up the odds. And instead of walking forward, he was going to do the whole thing walking backwards. So again, thousands of people gathered. As he attempts his second crossing, he grabbed his balancing pole, and minute by minute, second by second, Charles Blondin crossed backwards. And when he got to the other side, the crowd could not believe what he had just done. And they erupted in cheers and chants at this incredible feat that Charles Blondin had done. A little while later, Charles Blondin wanted to do something again. So he invited everybody back. And this time, not only was he going to cross the rope backward, but he was going to do it with a sack over his body. As they stood in anticipation, you know the story. He put the sack over his entire body. And Charles Blondin crossed over Niagara Falls. Again, blowing people's mind. They could not believe what this man had done. Everybody was cheering and he was making headlines across the country at this unbelievable feat. He got caught up in the momentum and a little while later, he said, I got to do it again. And he invited everybody back. This time, he was going to do it in the middle of the night with no light. And so in the darkness, thousands and thousands of people gathered. And Charles Blondin crossed Niagara Falls in the middle of the night. To outdo himself again. A little while later, 
He invited everybody back. He was going to take it to another level. This time they watched as Charles Blondin took his balancing pole and he walked out into the middle of Niagara Falls and he did a headstand in the middle of the tightrope. People could not believe the sheer courage, fearlessness of this man to accomplish this feat. A little while later, Charles Blondin invited everybody back and this time he said, I've got to really push the limits. And so this time, as he mounted the rope, he didn't take a balancing pole with him, but instead a table and a chair. And he carried the table and the chair and walked all the way into the middle of Niagara Falls on the tightrope. And he put the table and the chair and balanced and then sat on the chair with the table in front of him on the tightrope. People could not believe what they were seeing. This man's feet and his capability to balance on this rope. A short while later, Charles Blondin upped it again and he invited everybody back. Now there's, there's just untold thousands of people that are there to watch uh, Charles Blondin. What could he possibly do different this time? This time, he took the table, the chair, and he had a sack of things with him. And he got out to the middle of the rope and he set up the table balancing. And he set up the chair. And he pulled out ingredients from the bag and he made an omelet while he balanced on the tightrope. This isn't a fiction story. You could read this in history. Finally, one more time, he invited everybody back. He had now done over 300 journeys across the tightrope had never fallen, had never missed a step. People had witnessed him over and over again. And this time, when the people showed up, the crowds of people cheering for Charles Blondin, they knew what this man could do. He showed up, and this time, he had a wheelbarrow with him. And he said to the crowd, he said, do you think I can cross with the wheelbarrow? Now, if you've ever tried to push a wheelbarrow even on the ground, they can be squirrely. I, I've dumped over a wheelbarrow many, many times because they're hard to balance. He said, do you think I can, I can cross with the wheelbarrow? Everybody shouted, yeah. He said, do you think I can cross with the wheelbarrow? And somebody in the wheelbarrow. Everybody, yeah. He said, okay. I need a volunteer. And not one single person was willing to get in that wheelbarrow. Sometimes faith is easy to shout and to speak. until God is saying 
come with me. It's easy to shout faith on a Sunday night when we're saying, yeah, God can do anything. Go, God, you can do anything but fail. But what about when God said, take my hand? What about when God says, I know you're afraid, but trust me. What about when God said, I know you can't see clearly, but just know I've got you. What about when you say, God, I can't see you. I'm preaching to somebody today in the middle. Come on, that's all right. You can come to the altar. I'm preaching right now to somebody that you're living in the paradox of faith. And part of you says, I want to trust God. I want to believe God. But there's something you're wrestling with. I'm telling you this morning, come on. They're coming from the balcony all over the building. Come on. I'm telling you this morning, God has extended his hand to you and God is saying come on if you believe anything is possible if you believe I can do anything you need me to do if you believe I can be whatever you need me to be come on somebody in this building right now don't you leave your fear in that pew. Don't you leave your trial in that pew. But grab your fear. Grab your challenge and bring it before God. Lord, I believe, but help thou my unbelief. Come on, somebody right now, lift your hands. Lord, I believe, but help thou my unbelief. Come on, don't be ashamed. It's normal be afraid. It's normal to be challenged with fear. It's normal to have to face uncertainty. But I'm telling you this morning that God is able, that God is greater, that God is bigger. Come on.
to strengthen you today. God wants to strengthen you. God wants to take you by the hand. God wants to wrap his arms around you. God wants to pick you up. Before we leave this building, the Holy Ghost is going to strengthen you. Before we leave this building, God's going to touch your mind. Before we leave this building, God's going to touch your spirit. Before we leave this place, 